Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your guest, or not your guest, but your host as always, Ryan Basor. And today I'm super excited. Uh, what's normally a boring topic, I know I was a commercial insurance agent for 11 years, but it won't be today. My good friend Mike Stein from uh, Farm Bureau Insurance. Uh, thanks, Mike, for being on. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. Appreciate it. You got it. You got it. Tom, up at Real Leaf Solutions, uh, what's happening today? Oh, another day in paradise, Ryan. Another yeah, I know you got some, uh, being the first event license in the state, I know you got some questions that people are going to want to hear. And uh, Kevin over at True Cannabis, who was uh, in the office with me, I know he's got some uh, pertinent insurance questions as well. How's it going today? All right, cool, cool. So a little more about Mike. I met Mike officially. I knew a Mike because I was in the insurance game for since I was 20 in the Lansing area, and I'd, I'd heard the name. And uh, um, but when I uh, um, when I uh, decided to jump on board and uh, helped uh, found was a business uh, development director for uh, for Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. I met Mike uh, then, and uh, he had known a lot of the people that were getting involved. And uh, that's when, you know, right away, it was my job to come up with programs. And Mike right away brought, knew the Conifer guys who I known as well. And we developed, Mike, Mike, Mike can take credit for it. I'll take credit for it. But we, I, I say we both take credit for it. Uh, uh, it was the best idea there. And it's, it's doing great. So it's a, it's a revenue sharing program for the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. And any of the members get an extra 10% off of their policy so it's a great program it's really starting to kick in so that's where i bought, met mike we also uh but i've gotten to know him uh, insures a lot of uh, a lot of my friends and and a lot of cannabis businesses and we we won the michigan uh uh, uh cannabis industry association golf outing last year at the summer annual and that was uh definitely nothing to do with me a- at all but um with that, I wanted to, uh, to let Mike tell us about himself uh, a little bit and then how he got into insurance, insurance cannabis businesses, and we can jump right into some of the questions that I know we all have and, uh, you know, and looking for answers. So thanks, Mike. Sure. Thanks, Ryan. Um, man, uh, where, where do I begin? I, uh, I do like talking about myself, so I appreciate uh, you, uh, you having me on. Uh, no, I uh, um, graduated from Michigan State uh, 2002 and uh, started selling insurance pretty much right after that. Um, that's been going on for, I guess, the last 18. It'll be 19 years in October. And, uh, you know, every year kind of brings on some, some new and exciting challenges. But uh, um, the last 15 so years or so, I've really spent the majority of my time work with commercial businesses, um, contractors, restaurants, condos, apartments, um, you know, really uh, small business owners. It was always easy for me to relate a lot to small business owners because they had the same problems I had. They had uh, hire employees and buy computers and find office space and uh, 
um, th those problems that we had in common made it easy for me to have conversations with them. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the path that I, I, I went down. Um, how I got into cannabis, man, that's, uh, that's kind of a two-part question, really. I was, uh, my son was in about fourth grade and playing sports and, and just having a little bit of a tough year. And my wife, uh, who is an avid internet researcher, really started digging into um, CBD and uh, Charlotte's Web and, you know, how, how a lot of these uh, cannabinoids have, have helped people uh, with anxiety and a lot of just uh, un uneasiness, really. And uh, I was like, okay, what are, are we gonna, are we really gonna, you know, go down this path? Is this, is this what we are? I was like, I, I don't know. I, and, and, uh, honest to God, she ordered some chocolate chip, uh, mint and, you know, gave it to my son. All of a sudden his anxiety about school starts going away. And then when, um, he was pitching in games, he'd get, so worked up about you know baseball game i was like dude you're in fourth grade this is this is not something you you should be having this label of anxiety at you know this is just gonna go out throw some strikes and throw some balls and it'll be okay and i mean the the true the 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 pressure that he felt uh, a couple of drops of mint chocolate chip before the game and uh he was as cool as the other side of the pillow i mean it was just really amazing to see how that little bit could really change him. And that that's in my own household. And uh, um, then, you know, we started kind of seeing how it was helping him. And uh, this was, I guess, about 2018, give or take, uh, somewhere right in there. And MMFLA passes and my good buddy, Russ, um, botanical company, uh, called me up and we had done some other work for Russ and Russ is like, Hey, I'm getting into the business. And I was like, Oh shit, here we go. I was like, <laughs> I know nothing about marijuana, know nothing about the, the, the business models, the insurance, what, you know, who's even going to do this work and uh, where am I going to go to find this coverage? And it was deliver. You better start finding somebody because this is coming to Michigan and uh, you, you know, I'm going to need your help. And, uh, so that really kind of pushed me down the path. And that's when I started reaching out to companies that I had worked a lot with over the last few years, Conifer being, being one of them. Um, Conifer uh, had for a long time uh, been doing cannabis work out of state uh, uh, in Washington and Colorado and other states where they do business. They just happen to do business out there under different names. Um, so I reached out to them who had written policies for restaurants and bars and other things with them and Joe and, and Nick and Matt all were, Hey, this is the path we're going down. This is coming to Michigan. It's already in other States and we're on board. And I said, okay. And, uh, really just kind of pushed down that path. Um, and then Russ introduced me to, uh, you may know this name. I know you know this name, right? Uh, Paula Givens and, and Paula, um, Chris, you know, no introduced Paula. me. <laughs> Everybody knows Paula, probably, I imagine. And Paula oh, yeah. introduced oh, me yeah. to, boy, 15 or 20 people. And, yep. you know, the thing about the cannabis community 
is they're really great at referrals. I mean, you, you don't even have to ask. I mean, just because the business is so new that when somebody figures out a solution to a problem, the willingness to share that information and, and who helped them is really high. And I haven't had to, you know, actively prospect that much because we're, we're showing up with some solutions and, and uh, it's, been, it's been one of the easier things uh, to, to solve problems in from a standpoint of prospecting. Now, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. solving the problems are always easy uh, or delivering, but um, from a standpoint of, of finding new clients, there's, there's a lot of people that wanna come into cannabis and there are a lot of people very eager to talk. That's a, yeah, that's a great point, Mike. Uh, you know, like we always talk about, like, especially for all these business owners that use the cannabis, it's friendly. And when we, when we do find somebody like a bank or insurance, or when somebody finds someone that's actually helpful and, and into the industry and, and is there and believes in it, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's, it is fun to, to do a lot of referring. I, I get a kick out of it. And what are like, so why is there only a few insurance carriers in, in, in the state right now doing this? What's, what's the roadblocks? I understand the banking with the FinCEN regulations and all that, but what's the roadblocks? Why aren't there more, why isn't auto owners doing it yet? And uh, when, when will that start happening? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, what I would say is, is that um, and I liken this to liquor stores, right? Um, liquor stores have been around for 100 years, but it doesn't mean that everybody, every insurance carrier wants to insure liquor stores. Now, liquor stores are, are viable businesses. They're in East Lansing, they're in Kalkaska, they're in Lansing, they're in Detroit, they're all over the place, right? Lots mm -hmm. of them have, uh, you know, are like Spagnuolo's in Bath that have, have you know, fried chicken and sandwiches and milk and everything else, but that primarily serve or, or sell a lot of uh, liquor and, and beer. Um, not every insurance company is going to want uh, certain markets. So that's the first thing um, is that not every carrier is going to be interested in every piece of business. So Conifer, who, who's you know one of our great partners, they don't write contractors. Now, what's wrong with contractors? Well, nothing, but it's just not a market that they wanna spend any time in. They say, hey, we like restaurants, we like bars, we like uh, um, uh, adult foster care facilities, but we don't want contractors. We don't want people falling off roofs. We don't want people cutting hands off. They, they just don't wanna deal with the risk. So I think that's, that's the, maybe the first part to your your question is that some carriers, it's just never gonna be part of who they are or what they do. Okay. The second part to that is I think is a lot of carriers, when you talk about a company as big as auto owners who does business in, man, almost every state. Last I knew it was at least 38 states that they did business in. Um, I think some of these carriers that are big enough to do it will, when they get a federal blessing, when they say the feds come in and say, hey, you know what? There are no issues here. We've taken it down from a, what is it? Class, a class one, is that, that the yeah, term? Schedule one, to, schedule, schedule one. one to hopefully none. To, to, to none. Yeah. I, I think you will see some more carriers enter then 
Um, but I, I still think that it may be a while before you have lots of carriers jumping on board. So one of the things that insurance companies always rely on is historical data. Mm -hmm. So let's take apartment complexes, for instance. So you can have an apartment complex that's a hundred years old and still have five, six, seven insurance companies that want to insure it. And you're going, well, geez, that building's a hundred years old. So it has a hundred years of problems, knob and tube wiring, cast iron uh, piping. You know, you've had people that think they're contractors and electricians that aren't, that are going through and doing, you know, fixes and everything else. But the historical data on all of that says, even on those buildings that are a hundred years old, you still only have so many claims for every one that you have. So mm -hmm. I think the thing that hurts the insur uh, um, the cannabis community the most is you don't have that huge volume of data that insurance companies can go back to and say, hey, for, for every one cannabis client, we know that we're gonna get sued for product liability for, you know, one out of every 1,000. There's gonna be some trace amounts of mold or metal or, or pesticides, herbicide, whatever you're gonna get failure test and somebody ingest, if it were to somehow get through testing, you've got that historical data on it. And I don't think you have enough companies willing to take that risk yet without that volume of data. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Hey, one thing I had, uh, and I, you know, I actually, uh, I, I told you uh, recently my claim to fame. I, in 2009, I wrote a, a marijuana liability dispensary oh. policy of Big Daddy's in Oak Park. I think I was the first in the state of Michigan. So it was, I think it was like an $800 policy. Right. <laughs> so, not a, not a, they were wondering what I was doing, my company. Like, why are you going after that? <laughs> but um, one thing that's never been up yet, and I know it's a big deal, and where are we at with like crop insurance? Like, are we there yet? And does it actually cover anything yet? We're not there yet. No, okay. I mean, there, 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 there is, there are companies selling crop insurance. Um, the coverages are pretty basic. They're uh, not covering if you've left your lights on too long, if you've overwatered, if you've over fertilized. I have yet to find a carrier that will actually tell me that they will provide coverage if there is a equipment breakdown or electrical power outage and you lose your crop because your building lost heat and your plants can't withstand that and you've now lost your crop, right? I have yet to have a carrier come out and say, yes, we are gonna cover equipment breakdown. Yes, we're gonna cover electrical power outages in the event that uh, you've lost power from a windstorm takes out telephone lines and power lines and, and now you've lost your crop. I've yet to see anybody willingly admit to that, nor have I read it in policy language yet. Cool. Those are yeah, that those are some things that are further away. Um, I, it, it really may take uh, a federal blessing before you really see those coverages come on board where they're going to be I don't want to say worth buying because in the event that your building catches on fire 
or you're still using high pressure sodium, right? Um, and a bulb breaks and you've got smoke damage and kills plants. Yeah, those are still claims that, that could be paid today if you purchase the coverage. But again, you start going back to statistically speaking, they're not gonna happen that often. Yeah, that was actually one of my main questions was about crop insurance. We were uh, one of the, well, we were the first licensed grow north of Lansing and Flint uh, in um, February of 2019. And I recall during the, um, the application period uh, while we were building out and uh, finalizing with the, uh, at that point, the BMMR, the requirements in order to just apply, you need to hold a certain amount of insurance. And, but we couldn't hold insurance. And of course, at that time, Conifer was the only company willing to underwrite anything. So we had one choice, which we have Conifer right now. My caveat is that it, it's been great, but we haven't had to, you know, file any claims, which is also great. Sure. Um, but we also couldn't utilize Conifer for our build out phase because they weren't un unwilling to ensure the construction portion until we were then had a CFO and then licensed, then we could move over. So there's a lot of moving parts and it, being so new in Michigan, even though Conifer had done it in other states, uh, it became very difficult and just increasingly, increasingly confounding for, for um, applicants to and then licensees to, to have the proper coverage that the state had already determined you had to have before sure. I felt that they even knew that it existed to an extent. So with Conifer, were you, were, were you involved with the state when they were actually um, writing the requirements for the application for no. these types of coverage requirements? No. So I, they were I, basically I, spitballing saying, well, you need to have this requirement, but we don't know if that even exists as an option. Sure. Yeah. No, uh, I was, I was no Tom. I was not involved, uh, at that time with those requirements. I do know that, uh, Conifer was heavily involved with the state in helping draft a lot of things, uh, in regards to, um, what would be covered, how it should be handled. I, I, I do know that they are very active, uh, downtown and helped a lot with that. Um, but you're right, you know, uh, Conifer has been one of uh, the only carriers that wanted to provide and actually sign the attestations that everybody needs, the J and the 2D. Uh, you know, lots of companies would tell you, well, yeah, you have the coverage, but when push came to shove, they didn't want to sign the warranty saying, hey, we're going to pay this if these things come up. Um, and Conifer, it was really the only one, especially at that time, that wanted to do anything like that and put their, oh, put their neck was on the, the only line. One. 100 percent was the only option yeah. that we had for sure. We, we uh, now have there are now some other options as far as carriers that are willing to do that. Um, Conifer has really because of their stance, I think, made other companies say, Hey, if we want to compete in this marketplace, we're going to have to put our stamp on that paper and turn them around as quickly as Conifer is. Otherwise, the business is going to go to Conifer. So I think by Conifer's stance, it's really helped the marketplace to have other carriers say, okay, if Conifer's been able to figure it out, why can't we? And, and insurance companies are, are really good at 
looking at what somebody else is doing and copying it and figuring it out, right? So none, none of our stuff is, is highly trademarked. Everybody's, once you get a policy language, you go through and you read it and say, okay, here's, here's how they came up with it. No point in reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah. That. Uh, I've noticed the same thing is uh, we have the, the state's first uh, uh, special event license for the state. And uh, before all this COVID stuff hit, we were planning out uh, summer of 2020 um, festivities uh, to celebrate. And we were finding, once again, you know, Conifer, it was the trailblazer, the only option that would underwrite a cannabis event. But it was at quite a large, you know, the price was pretty high that, you know, could be prohibitive to certain events. Um, are you finding that these other companies are looking to, because I can see that as once people are looking to go out and do stuff, they really are going to want it, you know, an option for, uh, you know, for celebration and uh, having more competition in the market. Um, are you finding other companies willing to underwrite these events or are we going to kind of just be stuck with uh, not, not no offense, but I mean, it really is. I mean, this is America, right? Land of competition, no free market, but we're kind of, we're kind of, kind of stuck in a way. Yeah. So one of the other carriers that um, um, will write the the warranty, the guarantee, the attestation, if you will, they they write it in the form of what's a what's called a bond, is the SARFA fund, S A R F A, SARFA, and they will write the bond that is required for you to uh, satisfy the state for that product liability that they're after. So one of the solutions maybe, now again, this is, these are not cheap solutions to, to, your, to your point, Tom, but that, that guarantee from the SARFA fund, they come at $5,000 per. So you may be able to link that SARFA bond and a general liability policy together in order to kind of close the gaps on those type of events that would satisfy the state and or licensing because it's going to have the hundred thousand dollars of product liability required then you go to a carrier that deals with special events type of insurance and you say hey this is going to be this uh, a cannabis event outdoor get together but we've placed the product liability with this other carrier and we need general liability for slip and falls and, and all the other things that still happen at outdoor gatherings. Not saying that I've done that yet, but I'm saying that that may be a way to close some of those gaps, but you know, you're still looking at maybe $6,000 for sure. one Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. That's real that was something. Yeah. That was something that was kind of, prohibiting the whole situation and uh no that's an interesting angle right there because uh, my previous life comes from live event production and covering general liability for a one-day event is a relatively inexpensive depending on the number of people you sure. plan on attending and the $250, venue or whatever you know yeah right right so that kind of thing is uh, it, it just blew me away some of the quotes we were getting and i understand i mean we're, you're in the risk mitigation right and you don't have the historical data on these types of None. events because they don't exist in the regulated market right now yeah you know until now and michigan is really unique to have these types of licenses so yeah yeah we we have we have started working on uh a, one social club 
um, and uh, just in the in the gathering, information gathering, uh, and uh, you know, I do not have all the answers yet, but uh, somebody for some amount of money will 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 offer some terms. That that's one thing the insurance companies are are fairly good at is if there's enough money out there, they will figure a way to uh, to put put coverage together. So. It just may not be everything that you always want, but uh, you know, again, more more companies coming in federally legal. Maybe that makes companies say, "Hey, you know what? This could be done for two thousand dollars or sure. fifteen hundred bucks." One of something for consumers out there to keep in mind too that all of these extra costs that the regulated companies have to incur somehow has to be passed down in a, in a way, and maybe not exorbitantly, but in some capacity, and that's what makes these uh, regulated products a little bit more, uh, you know, expensive than they could be once we get more competition, bringing the price down for options for coverage uh, is, is is a big thing. We were looking at, as far as the events go, I mean, it was almost 10% of the amount of coverage you needed to have guaranteed in order to have it underwritten. Yeah, absolutely. No, no cheap solutions right now on that. Um, I, I, I wish I had better answers for you, but uh, the the, in, the industry hasn't produced them yet. Huh. Right. Hey, Mike, I got a question for you. I got a friend that's a licensee, and uh, they had their uh, their uh, building uh, broken into, filed a claim, had been making payments, you know, for years. Um, it wasn't that big a claim, had it, and then immediately got, you know, can- was getting canceled um, uh, for it. How does that work? Is, uh, like, isn't that, uh, you know, I, I got used to get asked that question uh, when I was in insurance, like, hey, I've been paying all these years, what's up? So what what can you do for somebody like that? Uh, there, there are still carriers that will write it even though they got canceled. I, I think uh, I'm a little bit like you. It's a little disappointing to hear that, uh, you know, somebody had been paying premiums for a long time and, and then then had a claim and and then got canceled. Um, it, you know, you, you don't you don't give us money because we're good looking. You, you expect us to do something for you. And uh, that's typically to pay your claims. And uh, otherwise, you, you just keep the money in, in you know, your shoebox or your bank now or, or anything else. Right. Um, yeah. But what I will say is sometimes there's a lot more to the story that we don't have all the details. So maybe it's that they weren't taking as many of the precautions as what they should have in order to have avoided the claim. So I will say like a lot of carriers have um, a warranty that they put in place for uh, cash and for finished products at your dispensaries or your or your grow facility that says, hey, I'm gonna keep all of this finished product when we're not in store hours in a vault or in a lock secured, uh, uh, you know, safe that will uh, deter or prevent somebody from stealing or coming in. And a lot of times, if you've done all those things, not only does the claim go well, but they say, hey, you you partnered with us to uh, help us avoid having the claim. Um, and I, I, I don't know the details that you're, you're speaking about, but I don't know if they did everything that 
they should have, or if it was just a carrier that decided, hey, look, you know, we're collecting $4,000, we paid out $400,000, we won't sell them insurance for the next 100 years to make up that loss, maybe it's time to cut and run. And unfortunately, that's part of the business too. Yeah, I remember all that. That's uh, interesting, man. Maybe I have to have you talk to him. Uh, you know, I never know. Um, uh, what uh, you have any like, uh, like as far as like, I know like you talked about the ease of getting referrals is great in, in cannabis insurance, but what about like the difficulties, or, like the situations you've been hard ones you put in, or any analogies of like that's different from insuring a regular business, things that you have to go through. I know we, we go through all kinds of crazy sure. stuff and I'm sure you do too. Well, I, I would say that the policies that uh, the cannabis community is buying are, are generally very basic policies. Um, if you were restaurants, I could give you food contamination coverage and food spoilage coverage and, and cash coverage built in and, and uh, uh, loss of rents from, you know, the neighboring building and, um, you know, uh, sign coverage and, and really all the bells and whistles. And, and part of that is because they've been around for, you know, two, three, four hundred years, right? I mean, people going out for food. but the historical data on that and i could sell it to you for a thousand bucks um those are all the things that are kind of missing in the cannabis world is you can get little bits of them like um i can get you sign coverage which is you know property coverages are a little bit generally easier but um the cash coverage is a tough one to get especially for dispensaries you know we we bid a crime policy well i don't know maybe six months ago for $250,000 of coverage with a $50,000 deductible. And it was like $12,000 a year. And the client looked at it and just said, you know, we, we've got Dart Bank coming on a regular basis sure. to pick these up. Do we, do we really need to spend $12,000 on that? Um, or should we put that someplace else? So, you know, a lot of that is, is uh, challenging right now because all the things I would typically want to throw in, computer coverage and, and, and cyber, um, you know, those all have to be purchased individually and the quality isn't maybe what it is on a restaurant or a contractor or an office building. They're, they're, they're more basic, I should say. Hey Mike, can we uh, can we talk social use lounge because you brought it up sure. and uh, you're you're working on one right now. You'd mentioned um, we're also working on one here in Kalkaska, uh, and this is actually the biggest question that we have, and it's because we're building the plane while we're flying it, and of course we're asking people like you to insure the plane that's not built while it's in the air. Uh, um, it comes with really unique. Uh, liability questions that we are still racking our brains on. Uh, I mean, you you talk about say a bar and overserving and things of that nature, but with cannabis, it's a different animal. Don't have the historic data on as far as these types of lounges. Um, I mean, what do you see? What do you think is the biggest liability when it comes to 
these lounges and what they're facing when yeah. just trying to get up and running. So, all right, if, if you were a bar, you've got really strong protections under the dram shop laws, right? So, you know, um, we've insured bars for a long time and I have seen two lawsuits uh, and the vast majority have all been thrown out because the way the laws are written is, is that individual who is there consuming that alcohol still is the responsible party. Um, you know, un unless they are falling down and, and that bar owner is continuing to serve them, you know, really it has to be a super high level of negligence on the bar owner for them to get pulled in. And I, I have not spent as much time as what I will need to as the social lounges continue to pop up. But my guess is, is that there are not those protections built in for the cannabis community. And if somebody is consuming on their property, do they have the same protections that you would if you're a bar owner and you know they consumed too much cannabis, then they got in the car and they drove and they killed somebody, are they going to be able to say, hey, I just had this lounge and you know I didn't sell them anything. Are you still going to have those protections? And I don't know if there's a clear answer on that yet, but my guess is, is that there is not as much protection as there are for a bar owner. And, and well, luckily for cannabis, it's not as um, intoxicating per se as somebody drinking and driving. It's sure. a completely different effect, but there are people that are um, you know, new to smoking or maybe they had eaten too much of an edible before they even came in. And the onset takes longer for those types of things. So there's no way to gauge if somebody has eaten, say, a 200 or 500 gram edible before they came, a milligram edible, and they came in You're to your lounge and even had a joint. And then all of a sudden someone's green on your couch and you got to figure out, you know, you know, there's there's things you can do, Always. but I mean, it's it's like so many, you know, so many questions. Yeah, you're that type Tom, of situation. You're, you're, you are spot on there in regards to you have no idea what they were doing 40 minutes before they walked into your establishment. No idea. And uh, unfortunately, I think some of those things are going to get cleared up in, in, in uh, court cases. Um, but I, I also think some of those are going to be three and five years down the road as, as we know what is the real liability exposure and, you know, do you have those exposures just being a social lounge where you don't have a license to sell any marijuana? I mean, you have a license to have a place where they can consume marijuana, but, but, but not to sell it. Right. So good, good questions. Not, 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 I don't have the answer right now. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Hey, Mike, it's Build Kevin over at True, at True Cannabis. Um, hey, hey uh, I was I just wanted to uh, follow up with what Ryan was talking about earlier about, um, uh, you know, someone getting canceled their insurance. Um, being that it's a state requirement, what is the state's approach to this thing when when somebody's uninsurable? <sighs> Haven't run into it yet, but um, somebody has absolutely run into it. So part of uh, the requirements 
The easiest one to provide is the insurance, of course, because insurance is relatively inexpensive. But there are other avenues that you can uh, do to satisfy the state. So you don't have to provide an insurance policy. That's just the easier one. You can provide that SARFA bond that, that we referenced. You could also do uh, um, uh, uh, lines of credit and or um, escrow accounts with that cash in there, I believe. It's been, a, it's been a little bit since I've looked at all of the different options, because again, the insurance one has been the easiest for people to obtain um, and the least expensive, um, but there are three or four other options for people to be able to say, hey, this is how I'm satisfying that financial requirement. It doesn't just have to be an insurance policy. Although, you know, the insurance is the cheap, cheapest solution. Yep, yeah, that's a good answer, uh, Mike. I forgot about that on, on that requirement. But uh, so, uh, I know a couple of us have got some hard outs, and uh, Mike, you made insurance uh, entertaining. And, uh, uh, you know, that's not easy to do. I like the, a lot of the analogies, so it's, I understand why you're, why you're good at it. that, and along with uh, following up and asking questions, even though sometimes we don't want to answer them or uh, give yeah. you all the information. So that's, that's part yeah. of your job. I get it. But with that, I wanted to let uh, Kevin over at True Cannabis. You got any final thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, I want to apologize first off for uh, my my internet issues today. I only had a brief uh, encounter with you, Mike, but uh, I've got a ton more questions for you. So maybe I'll re reach out to you um, when we get off the show. But um, anybody else that's trying to get some insurance in Michigan, Mike, tell them what they could do to get a hold of you. Yeah, um, our email is mstein at fbinsmi.com or my phone number at 517-333-2060 and uh, happy to, uh, to help out. You know, a lot of these uh, questions we get is uh, if they've already had, you know, uh, a bid from other carriers is, you know, we're happy to take time and, and review them. One of the bigger things that we see now of challenges is people not insuring their buildings for enough. Um, you two know probably better than anybody that the real cost to replace your building. And uh, if you had to really sit down and look at how much it would take in the event of a total loss, my guess is you'd find yourselves underinsured. Um, so I would I would really uh, recommend people take a, take a hard look at especially today, the cost of building. Um, you don't yeah. build anything nice for a hundred bucks a foot, 200 no. bucks a foot. I mean, your world, you might be three and $400 a foot by the time you are looking at your lights and, and rolling tables and your heating and cooling. And I mean, uh, really, everything is tripled. Yeah, really pay attention to, yeah. to the cost because at time of loss, there's this nasty little co-insurance provision in an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. and believe that an insurance carrier is absolutely going to enforce it. Um, Coinsurance is uh, basically a, a requirement that says how much did you insure something for and how much should you have insured something for. Most carriers require you to insure it at 80% of what it should have been insured for. So if you build a building for 500,000 and at time of loss, it costs a million to put it back you are insured at 
Well, that means they only have to pay 50% of the claim. So if the claim was 250,000, you lost a grow room, they only have to pay 125. So don't think that for a minute, just because you had 500,000, that that's what they owe you. They're, they're going to look at coinsurance because it's in the contract and they can't enforce it. So don't give insurance companies a reason to not do what they told you they were going to do. Get, spend some time with your agent, talk about the current costs of LED lights and current cost of heating and cooling systems and current cost of your filtration and your fans and your humidifiers and man, everything you guys have in your buildings, it's, it's just all expensive. So, you know, put pen to paper on it and, and get a good number. Um, because at time of loss, you're going to expect that they go out and buy brand new LED lights and brand new heating and cooling and brand new filtration. And, and that's the job that you're going to want done. It's going to cost money. So, so don't, yeah. don't skirt those things. There are other places to, you know, take on more risk, take on a $50,000 deductible as opposed to a 5,000. Cause if your building yeah. burned down, it didn't matter whether it was five or 50, if they spend two and a half million putting you back, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's now's a good, a good time yeah. to uh, reassess your your policies and make sure that it reflects the true nature of the market right now, and especially yeah. the time that it takes to even get things built these days. Absolutely. Yeah, the world's changed with inflation and, and the lumber, obviously, construction industry. You guys all know same. that even better than me. Tom, Tom, you got any final thoughts for uh, for the listeners? No, it was really nice to talk to you, Mike. Yeah. I have a feeling we'll be talking in the very near future about things. It's sure. uh, it's great to get some insight, and I hope I didn't bust you too hard. Oh, no, not, not, not at all. <laughs> all right. Cool. Yeah. Nice to meet you. All right. Well, uh, once again, thanks for being on, Mike. Uh, everyone knows how to get a hold of you. Um, if you do got questions, obviously Mike's got the answers. Um, he lives it and uh, knows it inside out so just it's another great example of what we've been saying for over a decade look at all the the different ancillary uh economies that are created might you know like a lot of people that are working hvac people construction insurance there's a lot of people i talk to in the ancillary businesses that are part of the association they're having their best years so it's great for michigan it's great for the economy thank god that uh that we have it and with that i'll see everybody next week go insurance (laughs) <laughs> the Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.